Our Father in heaven, the hour has come for you to speak to your children. Please hide me behind the cross and present Jesus. For I've asked this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've gone through the bulletin, probably you know the title of my message. Buckle up tonight to see tomorrow. Buckle up tonight to see tomorrow. You know, it's a phrase that is so dear to my heart. You probably wouldn't understand because it is a phrase that earned me my doctorate degree. It is a phrase that earned me several accolades or scholarships here in Tennessee. It is a phrase that catapulted me to the national level that last year I was nominated to serve as a young member of the occupant, uh, Committee for Occupant Protection um, under the National um, Academies of Science, um, Engineering and Medicine in Washington, D.C. So it, it is a title that is so dear to my heart. It is a title that I've got an opportunity to meet Hollywood superstars, as you can tell on the right side of the um, screen. Buckle up tonight to see tomorrow. So where is this phrase coming from? And why am I sharing this phrase with you this morning? In 2014, um, my wife, we used to live in Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. That was where I got my master's degree from. And I applied to Tennessee um, to work at their Center for Transportation Research. And by that time, the Center for Disease Control had given out a huge sum of money, about millions of dollars, um, to conduct a research on nighttime seatbelt use. In fact, the goal of the project was to pilot test enforcement and education as to how we can promote nighttime seatbelt use in Tennessee. Tennessee is noted for one of the states with lower seatbelt use rates at night. And that was where we came up with the phrase, buckle up tonight to see tomorrow. You know, when we get into our first vehicles, the first thing we do is to do what? Put on our seatbelts. So let me ask, how many of us always wear our seatbelts? Just show by the raise of your hand, always. Wow, that's quite impressive. What about sometimes? Do we have people who sometimes, at least, yeah, we have two or three people. And for some medical reasons, do we have people in the audience that are allergic to seatbelts, that they never wear seatbelts? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you need to see a physician. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seatbelts save lives. Okay, it doesn't matter whether you are a responsible driver or not. You may try to follow the speed limit. You may try to avoid distraction like texting and driving. 
Okay, you may decide not to drive aggressively, but there's one thing I want to assure you. You know, unfortunately, you cannot control the actions of other drivers. Somebody may end up killing you on the road. And that is why it's always necessary to buckle up. As an engineer and for transportation, which is my field, we try as much as we can to design roads that are forgiving, that even if you make a mistake, you can retract back on the road. Because of our safety, car manufacturers are developing safety vehicle technologies that we can drive safe on our roads. But there is one technology that has stand the test of time, and that is seat belts. Seat belts still continue to be one of the safety equipments in our vehicles. Well, if you don't believe it, look at the statistics. You know, in 2014, seat belts saved an estimated life of over 13,000 people. And it is estimated that if we had 100% usage of seat belts, we could have saved over 2,800 more lives. Those are national statistics. What about Tennessee? In Tennessee, seat belts saved almost 370 people. And then if the entire state, we had worn our seat belts, we could have saved an additional 90 lives. On the screen is my professor at University of Kansas. For those of you who lived in Kansas, it's a place noted for snow. One time he was driving to campus, and unfortunately, he drove on black ice. He hit the bridge rail. His car tilted, somersaulted three times, and he survived the crash. And so when I met with him in Washington, D.C., he had this neck brace, and then he narrated to me that, he narrated to me the incident, and one thing he was thankful for was his seatbelt. You know, seatbelt could be the only thing that can stand between your life and your death. My professor was fortunate to live through the accident with minor bruises. We don't know what will happen on the road, or what we will encounter on the road and we cannot predict what will happen. And that is why it's always necessary to buckle up. You know, life is the same. In order for our families, our societies, our church to survive the crisis of this life, we must take the necessary precautions. Our world is in darkness. The human race is rotting away to the core. Every angle you turn to, there are crimes, there are violence, and there are immorality. Borrowing the words of William Yates, a 20th Irish poet, and one from Nigeria by name Chinua Achibe, in their book, they wrote, Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. I reiterate, our families are falling apart, the center can no longer hold. Our sense of meaning and fulfillment is evaporating away. Our sense and purpose of belonging is dwindling. 
Mom and dad are no longer together and children are bearing the suffering. You know, in our language, we say when two elephants fight, it is the grass that suffers. <laughs> Even in homes where parents are together, family morals and values are decaying. So the question remains, who is to be blamed? Is it God? Is it the devil? Or is it parents? You know, in my home country, I come from one of the dominant tribes, the Ashanti tribe. And we have this saying that the reign of a home of a nation begins in the home of its people. The reign of a nation begins in the home of its people. Sometimes we blame the government. We blame our school systems. We blame our churches, our pastors, our elders for the moral decadence, the crimes and the violence in our society. But I want you to think twice about this proverb. That the destruction of a nation begins in the home of its citizens. Child development or behavior can be affected by so many factors, and one of them is the parent. Depending on the broken, the severity of the broken family, the parent's relationship with a child can affect how they behave or develop. If we are not guiding our children in the right ways to go, then these children will become a problem for the society. These children will be the one leading our nation. Can you imagine a nation ruled by people filled with so much selfishness? Can you imagine a church led by people who are unloving, who are unkind, and who are self-centered? That is why God is calling on us this morning as parents, as fathers, as uncles, as aunties, to buckle up in this sin-sick, um, dark world, to see our children live a blessed life tomorrow. We are their light to guide them on the path of righteousness. You know, as a parent, I would not withhold any good thing from my daughter. And so the first thing I do is when I sit in the car, is to make sure she's buckled up. But there is something more important than the physical seat belt we have in our vehicles. It is our spiritual belt. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to 15. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to 15. Therefore put on the whole armor of God, I'm starting from verse 13. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when you're able to stand the ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm that with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Apostle Paul is calling on all parents to put on our spiritual seatbelts. 
that we can stand against the wills of the enemy and lead our children in the right path. I had a privilege to go through the family plan book that the General Conference issued out this year for families. It's from the Adventist Family Ministries. And there was, there was so much in it that touched my heart that I said I needed to share with you this morning. And so there are two areas that I want to speak to you about or to share with you. And those are, one, we need to buckle up and pray for our children. And two, we need to buckle up and impress our children. So we start with buckling up by praying for our children. You know, every single day, as parents, we do a lot for our kids. We clean them, we nurture them, we take them to school. We even help them with their assignments and homeworks. We provide them every opportunity for them to love the things they love doing most. But in the midst of all this busy life, there's one question we need to ask ourselves. Are we praying enough for our children? I'm not referring to a quick prayer that has little thought behind it. I really mean praying, specific prayer, a powerful prayer, a promise-filled prayer, a prayer which is hope-inspired. The only thing of eternal significance that will stand the test of time is our prayer for our children. Our prayer for our children never dies. It continues to live in their lives. There is a story about a young gentleman by name Larry. You know, Larry grew up in this church as a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was a product of the Adventist education. He went from elementary right to college. But when he got to college, he didn't fit into the system. He felt that there was so much regulations and strictness. And so he left the church. He became, he joined a gang group. He was into drugs, into women, and started drinking. You know, during Larry's Years away from God, there was one thing the mother did for him. At five o'clock every morning, the mother would wake up and pray for, for her son. She had little knowledge about where her son was, whether the son was alive or whether the son was dead, whether the son was in jail or whether the son was out of jail. For 15 years, Larry's mother faithfully prayed for her son. And down the way, Larry came to his senses. He decided to quit the gang life. He and his girlfriend settled in the Bay Area. But he got a job, and he was able to cater for himself. But the problem was, one time, he was fired. He stole from his boss to support his drug addiction. His girlfriend, and himself were evicted from the apartment, and so he ended up on the streets, eating from trash cans. Larry became so depressed that he decided to commit suicide. 
One time he pointed a gun at his head and ready to push the trigger, he heard a voice calling him, Larry, go to church. For 15 years, he had not been to church, so he ignored the voice. And it came the second time, and he, he ignored the voice. And the third time, he gave up and decided to go to church. The day Larry went to church was full, as we have a church full today. So he sat at the back. But can you imagine someone living on the streets for months without shower, showering, without personal hygiene? And so a lot of people who were sitting around Larry just got up and left the sanctuary because they could not bear the smell of someone who had not taken shower for a longer time. So the time came for the pastor to deliver the sermon. And when he mounted the pulpit, he looked through the congregation. Then Larry caught his eye. He couldn't preach. So he leaned forward just to see who that person was. And he couldn't preach. Now the whole church began to stare at the pastor. Still unable to preach, the pastor left the pulpit. Then he walked towards Larry to the back of the pier, to the church. And when he got to where Larry was, he knelt at his feet. He embraced Larry. He kissed Larry. And then he wept and cried. Larry was his roommate in college. You know, of all the churches for Larry to go, he had come to a place where God had prepared a reception of unconditional love. Amen. You know, one month before Larry had gone to church, this same pastor and the wife had been praying for him. He was going through his photo album. Then he, the wife asked him, who is this guy? And then the pastor told the wife that that was his classmate or roommate in college, but he had joined a gang lifestyle. To his surprise, Larry had come to the church where he was preaching. You see, the faithful prayers of Larry's mother and the prayer of a former classmate did not return in void. They were, ans they were answered in an incredible way. Larry came back to the family. He came to the church and to the Lord. This morning, there are five areas that I want you to pray about for your children. And the first one on my list is pray for the salvation of your children. Amen? Amen. As parents, our greatest desire in this world is to see our children walk in the Lord. You know, John had it right when he said in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to see or to hear that my children are walking in the ways of the Lord. We should pray that our children have experienced like Paul, who said, I want to know Jesus Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, to become like him who suffered and died, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We should pray for our sons and our daughters to have a personal relationship with God, that they will confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their lives. 
for in him they can live and move and have their beings. Without Christ, our children cannot do anything. They will be lost when they have Jesus as their savior. Is there any greater joy that as parents we can have? Let's pray for our children's salvation. Number two, let's pray for our children's character. We desire that our children will be like Christ. The Apostle Paul in his prayer in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 was that people would follow his example just as he has followed the example of Jesus Christ. We should pray that our children will not only know the doctrines or the 28 fundamental beliefs of the church, but that they would know Jesus and have his personal character. Our greatest hope is that our children will be able to see Jesus and others will see Jesus through them. In Matthew 5 verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We must earnestly pray for Jesus' character for our children that they will draw closer to Jesus. Number three, let's pray for our children's relationships. Our prayers should be centered on God guiding our children along the path of righteousness for his name's sake and leading them in choosing their friends and also their future spouses. We are to pray that they will have a relationship with positive, which are positive and which will lead them to Christ. Let's ask God to protect our children daily from those who will be of evil influence. In Psalm 1 verse 1 and 2, he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God. And his law, he meditates day and night. You know, before I got married to my wife, we were friends. And she questioned me, that why is that most of your friends are Seventh-day Adventists? In fact, I had never thought about it. Then it came to my mind that it was God who had brought those friends into my life. You know, when you form associations with people who are looking up to God, they will lead you to God. And that is what we should pray, that our children will form relationships with friends, people of positive influence who will lead them to Christ. We should pray for our children's protection. You know, since my six years here in the United States, I have been terrified by the rate of mass shootings. You know, public mass shooting is a tiny of what the violence that happens in this country. But they are uniquely terrifying because of the way they occur. They occur without warnings. Even in the most mundane places, places you never think of. Most of the victims are chosen not for what they have done wrong, simply for where they happen to be. It doesn't matter whether you are in the church or whether you are at home or whether you are walking on the street or whether you are at the mall or whether you are at a cinema, you can be a victim of mass shooting. And so as parents, we need to pray every day 
and claim the promises of protection for our family, especially our children. Psalm 91 verse 1 to 3. He said, he who, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Amen. Let's pray. A prayer of protection on behalf of our children. For they face so many dangers. They face the temptations of drugs, alcohol, pornography, and even friends who lead them down the wrong path. It is a struggle against evil that we are dealing with. Therefore, we are to put on the whole armor of God and pray for our children. Let's pray, number five, for our children's future. It is my sincere prayer that our children will now walk faithfully with the Lord as Enoch walked with him. That Jesus will be their long, lifelong friend and savior. For our children's future, let's pray that they will choose Jesus to be their guide in the decisions they make. We want to make them decisions not based solely on logic or on the needs of the moment, but based on God's guided will, which is through the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 119 verse 105, he said, let your word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, two of the most important things or decisions our children will make is their spouse and their future career. And I had to struggle with that at my early age. You know, when I was in high school or senior high school, it was difficult for me to determine what I would become in future because God blessed me so much that um, I was all-rounder. I was almost good in, at every subject. I remember one day after school, usually we walk with our teachers home, and three of our teachers had seriously engaged in a debate. And do you know what the debate was? About what I will become in future. <laughs> one said I'll be an engineer, one said I'll be a conference president, because he was a, an Adventist um, teacher. I'll be preaching, I'll be a preacher. And the other said, I'll be a scientist. So even right in the beginning from my life, I was confused. I didn't even know what to, to become in the future. But then through prayers and the guidance from my, my, my parents, um, I made a right choice. And that is what we are to do for our children, to pray for them, for their future, and when it comes to my wife, I've shared with you some, I've shared my story with you, how I met my wife. You know, the first time I met her, I told her that I would marry an Adventist because I grew up in the church. And that was a training I was brought up with. You know, we were introduced to the writings of um, Ellen Jean White, Adventist home. We had read almost the entire chapter of choosing a life partner. So I knew what I was getting into. And I told my wife that I would marry an Adventist. She was not. We became friends for a while. And then I told her, Un until you become an Adventist, I'm not marrying you. <laughs> and then it, it, our relationship ended up. She broke my heart. She said she was no longer going to be an Adventist. But you know what? I prayed out to God and said, God, I see that this woman is God-fearing, but she's not part of us. 
I pray that you use my father. I pray through him to decide whom I should join my life with. And lo and behold, she became my wife. And today I'm with Doreen. It is true prayers. It's a miracle as to how it happened. Maybe later on I can share with some of you. But I believe that the prayers of my dad, as well as the prayers they have shared for me, helped me in making that decision and that choice. And that is the two most important decisions that our children will make, whether we like it or not. And so we need to pray for them. We have to impress our children. In bringing my message, I'll bring it to a close soon. So don't tarry. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Because of time, I'll read. It said, train up a child the way, in he, the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is quite unfortunate that we live in a culture where children are training parents. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> because I grew up in a home where I did not have an option. Whatever mom cooks, you eat. Whatever mom says you wear, you wear. But today, things have changed. Children are telling us what to cook for dinner, what to wear, and what to watch on TV. It is not simply enough to pray for our children. We must be godly examples for them. Amen? A woman invited a friend for a dinner. And you know, the woman was frustrated with the preparing of the meal. She had been preparing meal all day. She kept on murmuring and asking herself why she had even invited the friends. And so he had wanted to call the friends and cancel the dinner appointment, but she thought about it again and decided that she would go with it. That evening, as they were ready to eat, she asked her three-year-old daughter to say the blessings. The little girl was so shy and told mommy that mom, I feel shy, I cannot pray, I don't know what to say. But her mother said, told her, her daughter, just say what you've heard mom say all day. <laughs> so the young girl bowed her head down and said, dear Jesus, Lord, why did we invite our friends to have dinner with us today? Amen. <laughs> you know, you leave an indelible mark in the lives of your children, whether you recognize it or not. And so we should be careful about the way we carry ourselves. They will learn things from us. The things they hear, they see, they will learn from us. They are copycats. And so our influence will be upon them. It is my hope that parents, guardians, and others who are significant in the lives of children will purpose in their hearts to be intentional about passing their faith in God to their children. In Testimonies, Volume 4, page 500, Sister White writes, The influence of a praying God-fearing mother will last eternity. She may die, but her work will endure. 
Now I think the fathers are probably thinking, I'm so glad that it is the mother's job to influence the children spiritually. No, I'm not done. <laughs> I'm just saving the best for the last. In Ministries of Healing, page 392, Sister White says, in a sense, the father is the priest of the household. Laying upon the family altar and the altar, the morning and evening sacrifice. In the morning, before he leaves home for his daily labor, let the father gather his children about him and bind before God, commit them to the care of the father in heaven. When the cares of the day are past, let the family unite in offering grateful prayer and raising the songs of praise in acknowledgement of the divine care of God. As God instructed Moses in the wilderness to teach their children, so is he impressing on us to impress our children, to leave a lasting mark on them, to impress, to impress them so that their lives will never be the same. We have to impress upon them the importance of loving God with our heart, with our soul, and with our strength. Yes, sometimes our children will sway away. They may leave the Christian principles that we teach them. But there's one thing I want to assure you. Just like the prodigal son who had left home and wandered away, he came back to his father. In the same way, our children may stray for a time, but in God's own time, they will come back to the living Christian principles that we teach them. The Lord assures us that he will not do anything for us, but then protect our children. You know, when we do this for them, nothing can sway them away. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, is not a promise. It's a principle. You know, God is not promising us that we sh when we train our children, they will become holy angels. No. It's a principle. If we train our children in the way they should go, we will have the insurance that they will continue to live the life of God. Just like an illustration, we buy auto insurance. The insurance will not protect you from having an accident. The insurance is there to cover you in emergency or in case you have to repair someone's um, vehicle. If you are at fault or if someone steals your vehicle, Unfortunately, there is nothing that we can guarantee. Though our children may wander away, there's one thing I believe, that no matter where they go, they will come back to the Lord, just as Larry came to God. This morning, God is appealing to our parents, to uncles, to aunties, to grandparents, that we need to stand firm for him and to put on our spiritual belts. In times like these, we need to pray for our children and with our children. In times like these, we need a Bible. In times like these, we need to set good examples for our children. Let's buckle up tonight to see tomorrow, to see a brighter future for our children. It is my desire to have a happy home, a home where God is there, a home where Jesus' name is sweet to the ear, a home where prayer is heard, and a home where our hearts are united in love. That is the home I wish for, and that is what I pray for.